text them in. The number's up on the screen. We've already got some that have come in. So as you're listening to the answers, if something's on your heart, please send it in. We really would love the opportunity uh, to answer those this morning. So we're ready to kick off if you're ready. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Quick transition. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. All right. Um, So first question here about being filled Uh and pouring out. How do you realistically balance pouring out and being filled up? I feel week to week like I'm always caught in between the two extremes of being an over-consumer and pouring out so much I feel empty. How do you, do you have any practical advice for balancing pouring out and being poured into? Yeah, well, I appreciate a commitment to go, I want to be poured Mm -hmm. out. Absolutely. There is um, being poured into. We don't go to a place Mm -hmm. to get poured into. It's not like a gas tank you're filling up. Right. Uh, And you don't have to be in church or go to a Bible study to be filled up. It is the person. It's a little bit of the disadvantage of the illustration. It's it's as if a spring, um, not a pitcher, but a spring is always filling me with all I need. So I'd actually, I don't think that there is a place where I need to go, um, I need to balance being poured out because I gotta make sure I'm getting poured into. God is making sure that you're being poured into. That's, that's really important because I don't pour into you, God pours into you. That's, it's the person of the Holy Spirit that is being poured into us. Now, practically, does that mean that there's ever a time to rest? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, written into creation is the reality of rest. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you be poured out to the time that you need some rest? Yes. But not because the tank is low. You see what I'm saying? It's, no, I can't because we're not dialoguing, but (laughs) I hope you see what I'm saying. It's not that my tank is low. I always have all that I need, but do I get tired? Yeah, God has built my physical body so that it needs both exercise and renewal. Uh, It needs to get nourishment and then it needs to work. So God has built that into it. And so it's, there is a time to rest. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go away. Jesus often went away at night, again, uh, to spend time with the Father, to make sure that he was, to make sure. I would say it for us. He never sinned, so he was always in perfect union with the Father. But he still had the discipline of getting away and prayer and listening. So there's an appropriateness for that in our lives that we recognize we need times of rest. We need times of refreshment and even in uh, you look at agriculture, there's 
you give fields, literally, time for resting. You don't just always take out. There needs to be time for the soil to have nourishment. Mm -hmm. So those are all true. I just wouldn't connect it to being filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is always, all of Him is always all that we need in every moment. But physically, there's some times to be... um, to be resting and to replenish. And, and, and there is in the reaction, the reality, you don't have to come to church to be uh, refreshed. You don't get more of the Spirit when you come to the church. You might be reminded when you come to church, mm-hmm. reminded of how much of the Spirit you have. <laughs> so I think there's a reminding and a refreshment that happens. But I don't want us to think that somehow we need to slow down because we're low. We may be tired. We may need refreshment. But the Spirit of God is always fully sufficient. I hope I've captured that question correctly. It's a good reminder, the full sufficiency. Yes. Uh, next question. I tried to be a witness as a Spirit-filled believer to my unbelieving family as a believer for 17 years. Mm. But it never had an impact. I left the faith partially because of that. How do I deal with the reality that I was an ineffective believer? Uh, oh, my heart breaks there because um, I want to read it to you from the Word so that you don't think I'm making this up. I hope who wrote that is really listening right now. Um, In the church in Corinth, two guys were used by the Lord to make an impact there. But here's what they said about themselves. Their names were Apollos and Paul. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, that's Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Did you hear it? To determine that you had no impact on your family is, number one, that may not be accurate because we don't always and often see the internal impact that happens in people's lives. Absolutely. And second, it's not your responsibility to change your family. You live as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus in your family so that love is pouring on them, patience is pouring on them. But it says twice here, we're nothing. God causes the growth. So, uh, I'm concerned that you took on a responsibility that was not yours, and therefore uh, the enemy has discouraged you that you were ineffective. Nobody who is overflowing with the Spirit of God is ineffective. People might, might not change, but that, right. that is 100% God's business. Um, There are a lot of people 
who did not follow Jesus, who he ministered to. Mm -hmm. Was he ineffective? No, he wasn't. He was obedient to the Father, and he said, it's the Father's it's the Father's work, and it's the Father who does the work. It's the Father's business. And so I want to encourage you, uh, don't believe a lie that you were ineffective because your family didn't change. That is up to the Lord. I am ineffective when I don't flow. When the Spirit of God doesn't flow in me, then I'm ineffective. But the impact is 100% before the Lord. And... Um, you know, honestly, we're in a process with trying to pursue a, a brother in the Lord who is in disobedience to the Lord, and we're following the prescription that Jesus gives for pursuing a, a brother in the Lord who is sinning, and we're praying for him. We are speaking truth to him. The body is reaching out to him, and he's not repenting. And honestly, I was a little frustrated yesterday with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. We're, we're doing exactly what you said to do. Why don't we see repentance? We're loving him. We're reaching out to him. We're not shrinking back. We're praying. You can change a heart. Why aren't you? And uh, it was a good reminder that I do what I do because of my responsibility to obey the Lord. What the Lord does with that obedience is up to him. So uh, I don't conclude that we were ineffective, and I don't conclude it didn't work, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I conclude what my responsibility is and then what the Lord's responsibility is. So I relate. I can have those same feelings. Don't believe the lies that it's up to you. Good question. Really appreciate yeah, those honest no questions and heartfelt uh, yeah, yeah. questions that come in. Truly appreciate those. Um, so going back up to the top of the verse about um, drunkenness, can you help yeah. define for people when alcohol or other substances is considered a problem? How can people identify that in their lives? Well, the... The verse gives us some sense. It's not a divided verse, two uh, totally distinct commands. Mm -hmm. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the be being filled is, uh, is a, I'm living under the control of the Word of God. In contrast to living under the control if I had a, uh, a whiskey bottle or a wine bottle or a beer bottle and holding that. So how do you know it's, it's when it is a ruling appetite in your life? It's a problem when, quite frankly, you can't remember what happened the night before or you can't remember because you drank too much, it's a problem when you have lost your ability to think clearly. Uh, when you do stuff that you go, man, that was just stupid. And the answer is because you knew you had too much to drink. So it's a problem. It's a problem when it is the influencing factor mm -hmm. in your life. And so... Um, I recognize and appreciate the question. I recognize 
it's hard to see, like Emily said, it's hard to acknowledge we have a problem because we think, no, I can control it. But she was like, mm, I can't control it because I've tried to stop many times and I couldn't stop. I, I think if, if you're married, I think one of the wisdom practices is for you to go, I can't always see myself accurately. So invite the input of your spouse. And if your spouse thinks there's a problem there, and you don't think there's a problem, trust that your spouse can see some things that you can't see. I think that's a very practical reality that many people ignore what the, those closest to them say, you have a problem, and they go, no, I don't have a problem. People can see what you can't see, or they're willing to say what you're unwilling to admit. So mm-hmm. uh, be sure to invite, not only invite the input of others, but to listen to the input. And what do you really lose? You're going to drink less? What do you really lose? And if you think, oh, I've lost, then there's your problem. See, mm-hmm. if, well, I'll make it practical. If you can't say today, oh, I could do a 30-day fast from alcohol, there's a problem. If I think it's actually healthy for anyone who feels the freedom to drink, to once a year choose a period of time to fast from it and make sure this has not become a controlling need to because it happens before we realize it. So those would be my two practical. I don't need a definition. Better than a definition is some practical ways. So invite those closest to you to speak, not only to hear it, but listen to it. And even more practical, just take a 30-day fast. And if you can't, there's a problem. Mm, That's a very, very practical way. Yeah. And uh, next question question that just came in, if you need a drink every day but don't get drunk, would you consider that being a sin or being a drunkard? Again, a very practical yeah. application here. Can you yeah. go 30 days? Yeah. Is that a, a challenge or a problem for you to do? I think that— Yeah, the concerning yeah. word in that question is if you need. Need, yes. Yeah, if, you need, need. if you need a drink every day. But when people get into a habit of—they come home— and, and the language is, well, I just want to take the edge off or just, you know, it's just to relax. It's becoming a controlling influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think it's good to do with dessert, <laughs> sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, are, those can be addictive things. Now, I don't think they, it's on the same level here as this. Um, but... It's good to, once a year, say, I'm going to fast from wine, or I'm going to fast from beer, or I'm going to fast from all alcohol, or I'm going to fast from all sugar, just to make sure that there aren't controlling influences in my mm-hmm. life. Yeah, I think it's a very good practical step. Yeah. Um, Continuing in the similar uh, theme here, I know I'm not to be drunk. I don't drink, but my friends ask me to be the DD or designated driver. Oh. 
Should I do that? Is that supporting sin? I wanted to help keep them safe. Yeah. Wow, that's a great question. Is that contributing to sin? I would not make it, I think I would discourage making that the regular practice. In other words, agreeing in advance to be the designated driver because so they can get drunk? No, I don't think I'd agree with that. If I was at a function and I saw somebody who I thought, whoa, they've had too much to drink. They don't need to drive. Then I want to step in and protect them. But ultimately, is here, here would be a question. Is a spouse... When their spouse is getting drunk, but it's just at home, and they are covering for them, are they really protecting them? Are they really helping them? I don't think they are. I think, right. I think in those situations, uh, we need to be willing to bring things into light. So I think in that situation, I would say uh, to the person who asked this, to your friends, you need to say, you know, I've, I've been committed to your physical safety. Uh, I have a greater concern for what alcohol will do in your life as a whole, because a ruling influence will be a ruining influence, if you didn't miss that. And so I, I would go... I don't want to. I don't want to continue to do that. I am happy to help help you be accountable on how much you drink, but I don't want to simply be the means by which you can plan to get drunk. So yeah, I don't think I would continue to do that. Good question. Yeah, that's a very Good practical question. question. Mm-hmm. But don't just bail on them. Talk with them, and quite frankly. Uh, I don't even, if you make it, because uh, in my head I was trying to process, is the person a believer or an unbeliever, and does that matter to me in my answer? And actually, a ruling influence is a ruling influence, for whether a believer or unbeliever. So I would do that whether it's an unbeliever or a believer. Mm-hmm. I don't want alcohol to ruin. So I would right. go, and I don't want alcohol to ruin your life by ruling your life. And drunkenness puts you in a bad place. So I want to protect you even more than physically. So I'm not going to continue being the designated driver. I want to help you not have to get drunk, believer or unbeliever. Because the unbeliever isn't concerned about the sin, but I'm still concerned about what will ruin their life. Absolutely. I think it's a good differentiate. We're not differentiating between the two in this one. It's the same applies to both. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, Next question here. So what do you mean by bringing heaven to earth? What would that actually look like? Oh, okay. I'm glad you asked. I say these things over and over again, and I think they make sense, so maybe they don't. When I mean heaven to earth, I mean this, that I'm going to bring unconditional love, like God has for me, to my relationships. The patience that God has with me, Because he's in me, I'm going to seek to bring that patience to my relationships. The mercy that God has toward me, I'm going to seek to bring that to my relationships. The truth that God brings to me, I'm going to seek to bring 
truth in love as he brings it to me. So whatever God is, and he is to me, that's what I mean in terms of flow. All that he is in me and all that he is to me will flow through me. So I, I mean love, and I mean mercy and patience and kindness. Uh, and this one, forgiveness. The, probably um, the greatest heaven thing we bring to our marriage is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say faithfulness. That's the ideal. But we're always going to fail on the faithfulness side. So probably the greatest thing we'll bring is forgiveness. Forgiveness, because we're empowered by the Spirit to live supernatural Yeah, and, and, and that's the power. That is, that's what God has done for me. So heaven to earth means doing for others what God has done for me. Hope that, if that doesn't make sense, text me again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it again. And I'll let Tracy answer. <laughs> Anything you would add to that? Or no, I, I think... Uh, when, especially when we go through those actions, like the extending of grace, forgiveness, yeah. mercy, patience. That's a very practical application so. of thinking through, wow, that is what the Lord's done for me. And then even put it in the context of a specific relationship. Uh-huh. That's what I need to do for my neighbor, for my coworker, yeah. my boss, whomever that is, and then apply it. It's amazing yeah. that the Lord has empowered us to be able to do that. Yeah. So she, she said what I said, so. Maybe a little I don't shorter. Think... <laughs> <laughs> I'm shorter. I agree. I am shorter. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. We hope you have a really blessed and encouraged day today.